going on, everyone? This is the first episode of Set and Outs College Football Podcast presented by Unwrapped Sports Network. I am your co-host, Daring, and with me is the co-director of the Unwrapped University, another co-host. We're excited to bring you Caleb Skinner. Caleb, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going good, Sam. That long day at work, but I'm ready to rock and roll tonight. Talk a little bit about uh, some college sports, and uh, especially when it comes to football. And real shout out to the Unwrapped Sports Network for kind of bringing uh, you and I together. And uh, I'm really excited to get going, man. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been a little over a month now. I'm with this group, talented group of individuals. I'm so pumped to finally get this started. We've been talking about this for a month, over like months now, man. I'm so pumped first episode let's dive right into it let's do it we're going to start off with news in the sports world not too much but this leaves optimism so the acc dropped their plan of how they're going to go about their schedule um so i know all the power five conferences have talked about um they've not they're now implementing the conference only games and now the acc also has notre dame in with them Right. So, yeah, pretty much uh, what the ACC is planning to do is they're planning on having each team in the ACC. They're going to go away from divisions or um, each side of the conference, no matter what you take it. And so it's just going to be pretty much all teams in one division or one conference, the ACC. And they're adding Notre Dame here and they're going to play five home games each and five away games each. So a pretty cool setup. And then they also added a plus one out of conference schedule but it's got to be within their home state. So that leaves a lot of optimism um, for these teams in the ACC to be able to play football. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. And actually, this will kind of flow on onto our next point is their top Virginia Tech's top corner and also projected first round prospect in the 2021 NFL draft. Caleb Fairley has opted out. How much of an impact do you think that leaves? I mean, he's a huge part of Virginia right. Tech's defense. Um, he's their playmaker, honestly, back there, um, locking down. You know, VT's always got pretty good corners as is, but this guy was like one of those different playmakers, if you will, um, for that Virginia Tech defense. So, I mean, it's going to be a big hole for them to fill. Um, hopefully somebody can st- um, step up into that role for them. But um, I think ultimately, Caleb was really just uh, looking out for himself here, even though the ACC just dropped their schedule. Um, and he didn't come out and say that, oh, he's coming back instead of opting out. He's kind of sticking to his word and, and going to opt out. So he's kind of looking out for himself and uh, placing money on himself, really, to prepare for this upcoming NFL draft. Yeah, and I would imagine he's not going to be the last guy that's going to do this. And it doesn't really surprise me that players are starting to opt out. You're already seeing multiple NFL players opt out. Damian Williams uh, was the big one. Um Damian Williams was the big one today, a guy that um, mm-hmm. played his way into the Super Bowl MVP running um, this past season. Um, so back to college football. So what we're going to start off today is um, Power 5 Conference predictions. So we're going to start off this week going with LSU. And so er, talking about the SEC. So LSU will come first. Obviously, Joe Burrow. To me, I don't know about you, Joe Burrow is probably the best college quarterback I have ever seen in years. Yeah, it's been quite some time. I mean, we've seen some great quarterback performances, whether it be Deshaun Watson, uh, um, Trevor Lawrence uh, more recently. But, I mean, Joe Burrow is special. It was different. Um, Transfer from Ohio State, like, 
didn't have very much expectations coming in and then boom like he's on your radar like we've never seen so being able to see a kid work his tail off to be able to get to that point and know and trust in himself and be able to do the things that he can do um is pretty amazing and i applaud him for it man it's it's gonna be fun to watch joe burrow uh, come to the next level yeah and th- this team lost a lot i mean before we went on air that th- we talked about this 14 lsu players are now in the nfl but what's crazy is i honestly thought they were going to drop i think i i was almost going to argue them falling out of the top 10 but now, I mean, 247 had way too early rankings. I want to say they put them at like six or seven. They've got lots of talent. They have Jacoby Stevens on the safety side. They've got Derek Stingley, arguably one of the best cornerback prospects in this draft. They have Miles Brennan. And their QB room is interesting because they had Jamie Newman available. They had JT Stevens available. Or JT Daniels, I'm Daniels. sorry. Yeah, there you go. Um, they had... To Aaliyah Tagovailoa. So that's three big names. And one of them, to his brother, who hadn't played a college snap in his like hadn't played a college snap in his career yet. But still a big name. Those are three big names that LSU had to pick from. If I was Coach O, I would have been all over a guy like JT Daniels or even to his brother. But right. I think that speaks volumes. The fact, like, to me, I think that speaks volumes that he passed on all three of those guys and he rolled with Miles Brennan. To me, I think that shows just how much faith Coach O has in Miles Brennan. Yeah, I honestly think uh, Coach O is kind of doing that on purpose. I mean, you build a connection with your quarterback and you show that you trust him, you're honestly going to get better play out of him no matter which team you are or how bad the quarterback is. The quarterback could be one of the worst quarterbacks ever, and if he believes that his coach trusts in him and has confidence in him, then he's going to up his game a little bit. So I think Coach Joe is doing the right thing here because even if you do bring in one of these transfer quarterbacks, you don't necessarily what the outcome is going to be. Um, apparently, and it's all obvious to us now, but he saw something in Joe Burrow, and so that was different. So, But I guess Coach O um, didn't see that in any of these quarterbacks that were out there, whether it be Jamie Newman or Tua's little brother or JT Daniels. So uh, I think he really ra- made the right move for his team here and kind of put them in a position to at least um, be one of the upper echelon teams in the SEC. What's interesting is Joe Burrow wanted to go to Nebraska because his dad went there, but Nebraska told him he, was not, he wasn't good enough. And Coach O took a gamble on him. Um, a guy that sat behind JT Barrett for, I want to say, it was two or three seasons. And Coach O took a gamble on him. And look what he turned out to be. So, I mean... He's now taking a gamble on Miles Brennan, and he now had, I mean, they lost both their tight ends. They lost Justin Jefferson, Stephen Sullivan, Thad Moss, but they're still gaining the best wide receiver in next year's class, Jamar Chase, right. and they're still, they still have Terrence Marshall. Mm-hmm. So that's still a strong wide receiver core, and that's weapons. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is gone, so that leaves um, Chris Corey, Chris mm-hmm. Curry, I'm sorry, coming in, a redshirt sophomore. Right. So like you, like we've said before, like there's a lot of gaps that LSU has to fill, but that's majority going to be on the offensive side of the ball, in my opinion, where we're really going to see maybe a little bit of decrease in play. But I mean, LSU's defense is always going to be what LSU defenses are, and that's going to be stacked with talent and playmakers. So like you were saying earlier, Stingley, um, perhaps the nation's top ranked quarterback for next year, um, coming back after his freshman season, he's going to be huge. Um, and then that safety as well. Um, 
forget his name. Jacoby Stevens. Jacoby Stevens, right? Jacoby Stevens. He's going to be a baller in the ball hawk and coming over to, you know, lay that wood whenever he needs to, whether it be in the run game or over the top. So um, the strength really there on their defense in my in my eyes lays there, especially when it comes to um, the leaders of the team and whatnot. So we're going to have to see some guys, some young guys especially, on the offensive side of the ball for LSU kind of step up and become those players. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And like like you mentioned, LSU's defense is still going to be the same. It's like Alabama. Dylan Moses goes down. They still have some four or five-star recruit that's going to come up. And LSU's DBU, like you mentioned, with Jacoby Stevens and Derek Stingley, who has unbelievable talent, so much potential around him. Um, so that's definitely going to be a very interesting team to watch. And Miles Brennan is going to be expected to step up as that guy he's got big shoes to fill um from what joe burrow left yeah hopefully he doesn't feel uh too much of that pressure to be joe burrow hopefully he can just be himself and settle in and play his game um but touching back on the offensive side of the ball man jamar chase he is something special um he's gonna be perhaps one of the best wide receivers we see come out of college football in quite some time in my opinion he um just looks very special i mean i know we've all seen like cd lamb come out um, and all these other guys who are highly touted and Amari Cooper and all these guys, I think Jamar Chase is going to be different. And and that's just going and saying that is just incredible for how young he is and um, seeing him ball out next year is going to be fun. See, there's one fit that I really, really, and I, I, I can't wait to talk NFL draft because that's something that's my passion. And there's one team fit because I think Jamar Chase has arguably the talent to go in the top five. And there's one fit that I would absolutely love to see. And that's right next to Terry McLaurin on the Washington football team. Terry McLaurin and Jamar Chase, that would be one of the best duels in the NFL in the near future if that actually happened. Talk about nasty, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most definitely. I mean, now they're gonna, now they have Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton in Denver. That could be a very young, scary core in Denver. Now they have Pat Shermer leading, who I think is one of the most underrated offensive coordinators in the NFL. Yeah, and it's amazing to see kind of this like Russian influx of wide receivers into the league all of a sudden. I felt like over for a while there, we were kind of getting like one here, one there, you know, you get your shining star out of the draft, but there's a lot of good wide receivers coming out um, in the, these past couple of years and in the future as well. So I'm excited to see where, where they all uh, end up and how they all pan out. Yeah, I mean, like this 2020s draft was the deepest wide receiver class we have seen ever in recent years. And now if you look, if you look at this draft in 2021, it's still looking pretty impressive. You're, you've got Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who we'll bring up um, in a moment here. You've got Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, um, Justin Ross, who unfortunately went out with an injury, Sage Surratt. Um, you know, EQ's brother, Amon Ross St. Brown, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman. That, that, that to me, like that, that's, that already looks deep. And I know like we're looking way at like, we're way ahead of this. Like we're way out of this down the road, mm-hmm. but like all these names that we just brought up, like that's just, it's crazy impressive. Oh man. It's insane. Like I'm in a dynasty draft actually. And then we had a draft this year and our, you know, the drafts are rookie classes. So <laughs> It's crazy when you get all the way to the fourth round and Ayuk from the wide receiver out of Arizona State is just still sitting there. Like he had right. such an impressive season last year with Arizona State and a career there in Arizona State too. And it's just like, how? How does that even happen? Like so many wide receivers that were available in that last draft class. 
and like this was a perfect like dynasty league or dynasty year too for for rookie drafts. A position like the wide receivers, where in the third, fourth round, like you brought up, you're still going to get talent there, and I think mm-hmm. that's very possible. That we see that in rookie drafts for the coming years, especially next year as well. Mm-hmm. So our next team is. My predict, I, I think they've got so much talent returning. I think they're going to win it all. Um, and that's the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think Mac Jones is better than what people give him credit for. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, if you look at if you look at Alabama's offense, they don't need an elite quarterback to win games. I mean, like Mac Jones may not be elite, but he's still a good enough quarterback that wins you football games. I remember I don't remember what game it was. Um but Nick Saban was interviewing him, I think, or he was getting interviewed from the media, and it was one of Mac Jones's first games starting after Tua went down with his hip injury. Hmm. And he was he he asked him about Mac Jones, and he said, "I don't know his exact words. It was like as long as as long as Mac Jones gets the job done, which he did. Yeah, like they may not have made the top four but they still surprised a lot of teams with the loss of Tua. And Tua's the best quarterback that Alabama's ever had. And, like, I would even argue ever. And, like, I'm not a huge fan of Alabama quarterbacks because they don't – and I think Tua could very well break that trend. He's got all the talent in the world to do that. But Alabama doesn't produce quarterbacks. If you take Tua out of that equation, the best quarterback that they've produced in the NFL is A.J. McCarron, which (laughs) doesn't say a whole lot. (laughs) He's a yeah. career backup. But right. I think Tua, and like, Tua's a left-handed quarterback. And like, not a lot of left-handed quarterbacks succeed well in the NFL. And the last one that I remember being very successful, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was Michael Vick. Um, there might have been one like after, well, being, but I don't remember. But that was years ago. Right, being to the point of where you know, right? Like, you know this is a left-handed quarterback, and right. he is absolutely... He's, tearing it up out there on the NFL right. field. So, I mean, yeah, Michael Vick, that's the first one that comes to mind for everybody. Um, I remember a lot of NFL le- or Tim college Tebow was another that one. come to the NFL don't really pan out as well. I mean, look at Tim Tebow. But that that was all motion and everything too, but that's a lefty quarterback as well. So, I mean, it's, it's totally different. But a lot of what I'm seeing here is we're kind of seeing Alabama go back to the Alabama they were before Hurts and Tua got there. You know, like with the A.J. McCarrens and those A.J. McCarrens of the world. So, I mean, Alabama, in my opinion, is just kind of going back into their bread and butter or Nick Saban's going back to his bread and butter. I need a game manager who's going to make the timely throws when they need to be made. And we're going to rely on the run game because we've got one of the best running backs in the country. So, I mean, that and then rely on the defense. So we're going back to old Alabama football here. And I'm uh, it's going to be fun to watch them pop uh, pop shoulder pads out there in the fall. Yeah, and again, running back the running back position in Alabama is another good another prime example. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit better than the quarterbacks and what they translate to into the NFL, but they have very few. I mean, Mark Ingram is one of the few that comes to mind, but I think Najee Harris is really something special. I think Travis Etienne is the best running back in the country, but I think Najee Harris you could argue at two or three. Um, because I, to me, I still have to see more Chuba Hubbard. I think he made the right decision to come back. I think Najee Harris is going to break that trend. I think he's really something special. And 
they, I mean, look at the wide receivers they have. Jerry Judy was our Jerry Judy was the best route runner that I've ever seen in years that I have done some deep analyzation of like college wide receivers coming into the draft. And I think if you put him in chase, I think that's a tough conversation because I almost want to say Judy over chase, but Jamar chase is unbelievable. They lost Jerry Judy. They lost Henry Ruggs, but Alabama is one of the best schools in the nation at producing wide receivers. I mean, you brought up Amari Cooper earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He had himself in the Heisman. Mm-hmm. So, like, Alabama is just outstanding at producing receivers. Even though they lost um, Judy and Ruggs, they still have an insane amount of speed in Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who also contemplated entering the draft, who, in my opinion, I think made the right move in staying um, because I think he was overshadowed by Ruggs. I think there was – I don't I don't think he would have been in the first round. I think he would have been somewhere in the second round. Um, so I think he can really make a name for himself now that he's not in the spotlight of Judy and Ruggs. And to me, I would take Waddle over Smith, but I think it's pretty close. Uh, yeah, so we'll just I'll just keep it right there, right where you're at with those wide receivers. Um, Jay, you like Jalen Waddle more than you like Devontae Smith. I'm gonna disagree with you. I like Devontae Smith more. I feel like he's more consistent. I know we didn't see Waddle a lot last year, besides like special teams play and whatnot, and he excelled there. So, I mean, that's kind of where we see the explosiveness and how good he is, and I think that kind of traps a lot of people because sometimes that can be misleading because you don't know if it's going to transfer over to being wide receiver. But, I mean, he did put up 33 catches for 560 yards and six touchdowns. That's very respectable. Um, so uh, that doesn't that kind of takes away that myth from Jalen Waddle there. But, again, I like Devontae Smith. I think he's a little bit more um, – you know, dug into the system there at Alabama. He knows what to do. He knows what Nick Saban expects. And he put up great big numbers last year in his junior season. It was kind of a breakout season for him, even though he was the third wheel um, behind those two guys you mentioned earlier that were drafted high this year. Um, And Devontae had 68 catches for 1,256 yards and 14 touchdowns, which is pretty amazing for being a third wheel (laughs) as a wide receiver unit. So um, that's pretty – I've never seen numbers like that out of a number three. Um, so he decided to come back for his senior season, which, again, um, like you were saying, I don't think there's necessarily a lot of film on him because of all the attention the other two wide receivers were getting last year and Judy and Ruggs. So um, both those wide receivers, that's going to be scary tandem to face um, in the SEC West, not only the SEC West, but the East, depending on what the SEC decides to do with their um, upcoming football schedule. But um, going back to the running backs, like you mentioned earlier, Alabama always has beast running backs um we've seen the likes of mark ingram derrick henry all these guys come out of georgia or sorry alabama not georgia (laughs) um alabama and they always get drafted high they're very very well respected for um you know developing their their running backs into nfl talent um at least worthy of a first round draft pick most of the time so um Najee harris is probably the most notable name on that alabama team um, and he, it was kind of weird because of many like experts and everything thought he was going to go to the draft last year, uh, if I'm not wrong. But um, he racked up, what, 1,224 yards and 13 touchdowns on the ground and adding 27 receptions for 304 yards and seven touchdowns on top of that. So um, I think that's going to only bode well for the confidence of Mac Jones. Um, like He's going to be taking those, those step backs, those five-step drops, 
um, out from under center, and he's going to have to rely on um, Najee there to pick up the blitz that's coming through the middle. So um, that really shores up that, and it's going to keep Mac Jones dry back there in the pocket. So um, I'm really pumped to see this Alabama squad. Like you are saying, they're one of the deepest um, teams coming back here, and uh, I know we'll get into their defense a little bit later. Yeah, and I like what you said with Devontae Smith. Um, I mean, Devontae Smith definitely has better stats to show than Jalen Waddell. I just think Jalen Waddell has an insane amount of potential. I think it's, I think the conversation is definitely very close. And your point on Najee Harris, Najee Harris is one of the few players on Alabama, like Alex Leatherwood and even Dylan Moses, who I was really shocked to see. Those three guys all returned to Bama. I mean, actually, Devontae Smith was on that list because a lot of people expected Devontae Smith to enter that draft. I think he had the stats to show it, but I think this year he could really solidify himself as a first-round pick. Yeah, there's a lot of guys like that on Alabama who are coming to, kind of like what uh, that whole Clemson defensive line did a couple years ago. They're coming Mm -hmm. back. You know, They're trying to win a national championship and make themselves some more money, especially with how deep that last draft was. So it'll be interesting. Right. right, and going over to the yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. I was just going to move on over to so, their defense and see all the playmakers yep. they got returned on that side of the ball. Yep, and I love watching Dylan Moses. Um, he's just he's just explosive. He he just bullies people. And one of my favorite linebackers in this year's draft class was Malik Harrison out of um, Ohio State. And that's a guy, I mean, coming from a Packer fan, a team that was a linebacker needy after the departure of both Kyler Fackrell and um, Blake Martinez. This is a guy I really want, I really wanted. Malik Harrison bullied guys. Dylan Moses, Dylan Moses was seen as first-round talent, had a season-ending injury. This is the guy that I was the most shocked to see stay because if he gets hurt again or has some sort of major injury, his draft, got, his draft stock is going to take an interesting plummet. He could be the Jalen Smith of the draft where everyone thought he was going to fall, but the Cowboys took him in the second round early, and look what Jalen Smith has developed into now. Dylan Moses is a really, really fun player to watch. Yeah, I mean, that would be something, wouldn't it? Like, if he came back and he got hurt, I mean, it'd be super unfortunate. But it all starts with him, in my opinion, on Alabama's defense. He, he's right there in the middle. So um kind of starts with him. But the guy I really like to focus on on Alabama's defense is uh, Pat Sertain. He is an absolute beast out there on an island. Um His coverage skills are absolutely terrific. Um Kind of he's going to rival. Uh, we talked about the cornerback for – LSU earlier, Sting, Stingley or Sting, Stingley, Stingley, yep. <laughs> um, what, whichever, yeah, pardon my pronunciation, but um, I think he's going to kind of battle him for being the top corner there in, in the SEC, especially SEC West. Um, last year, Sertain put up huge numbers, um, 42 tackles, one for a loss, two picks, eight passes defended, three forced fumbles, and here's the real set that kind of caught my eye, is that he has only allowed 681 yards through the air on 986 coverage snaps. Yeah, and this is a guy that I think he's got the height and body frame where he screams a lot of versatility. And Xavier McKinney, I remember talking about him um, with Matt last week on our Sportscaster stream, and we were talking about the Giants. I think the Giants definitely got a steal in him. Is He played 
third, I think he was out for a game or two. So like because of that, Xavier McKinney played a little bit of nickel corner. So that's another guy that has a lot of versatility on him. And Patrick Sertain to me, like I, I agree with that. I think I think the conversation between him and Stingley is insanely close. I would also take Sertain for now. And I think another cornerback to watch out for is in the Big Ten, and that his name is Sean Wade. Um, I think Jeff Okuda. <laughs> I think Jeff Okuda is a future All Pro, no question. I think he's better than Jalen Ramsey coming out of college. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I, I I've got really, I'm really really high on this guy. And like, what I thought was interesting is his press conference. He named his. Toughest receiver that he went up against. You know who that was? Who? It was Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin. Wow. And they, the Lions drafted Quintez Cephas. That guy, I mean, if he wouldn't have had his issue off the field, he would have been drafted higher. His speed's not going to wow you, but the dude has unbelievable athleticism. Now, I don't think he's the guy that's going to touch the field this first year, but outside of Kenny Galladay, there's a lot of unproven talent at the receiving room, in the receiver room of Detroit. But back to your point with Patrick Sertain, this dude is unbelievable. I I think he's got both the talent and the body frame to be used in multiple situations around that secondary on an NFL team. Mm-hmm. 100%. And then just bringing it back to what you were saying about Leather, um, Alex Leatherwood and the offensive tackle, mm-hmm. they're also bringing back a vet and Landon Dickerson there at center that's really going to provide some some leadership there on the offensive line with those two guys being in there and kind of provide a stronghold um, for that offensive line. So I really expect Alabama's offense to really take off with their wide receivers, Najee Harris back there. And all Mac Jones has got to do is follow the playbook and do what he's supposed to do, and that offense is going to hum. And then Alabama's defense, um, maybe not the biggest names besides a couple guys, but they're going to be playing Alabama defense, and you know they're going to play hard. So Alabama looks like a real threat, like we were saying, when we first started talking to uh, be the favorite for the national championship this year. Yeah, and <laughs> Alex Leatherwood, man, that dude is just a mass. And, like, I I mean, we tweeted about Ben Cleveland a while ago, and that's another guy. And, like, I'm a big fan of – I'm a big fan of versatility. And, like, not a lot of people like scouting, like looking over um, NFL, like, prospects on the offensive line. But when, you, when you're a guy as big as Ben Cleveland or even Alex Leatherwood – and you have that, like, speed, like Ben Cleveland, for a guy that's, what, I think he's 6'6", six, 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 like, six. Yeah. 260 or 270, I don't, might even be almost 300. Leatherwood's over 300 pounds, and he's 6'6". Six, six. If you're a mountain of a man, and you have, like, that impressive speed that no one would expect out of a guy your size, that's to, that to me is impressive. And I think Alex Leatherwood is most definitely first-round talent. I think he's going to be the franchise corner. I think he could be the future franchise cornerstone um, for several NFL teams looking for a tackle, and he's going to be the guy to not only step up even more than what he did last year with the Crimson Tide, um, but he's also going to be one of the leaders on that offensive side of the ball. (laughs) Yeah. You know, watching his film, Sam, uh, I feel like this guy could probably beat me to 40 at my age now. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, he, this guy, I, I, I love linemen that can play multiple positions of the ball, and like that's always, that's not necessarily a knock I would give on players that wouldn't, mm-hmm. 
versus, I mean, I like guys that can play both sides of left and right tackle because if you can only play one side, that's an issue. But I love guys. Elton Jenkins from the from the Green Bay Packers played a lot of center in Miss, at Mississippi State, but he also excelled at guard. And look at John Runyon from the Packers. He was a he dra- I think he was drafted as a tackle, but he played a lot of interior guard O line um, at Michigan. So hmm. I love linemen. I love the linemen prospects in this draft, and Alex Leatherwood is one of those guys that leads the pack of that class. Yeah, he definitely will. So the next team is this is an interesting one, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs. And my yeah. favorite one, Sam. My right. favorite one. Right. Yeah, no question. This is this is gonna be my favorite team to talk about as well. And we were talking earlier. If they I mean, obviously the ACC came out with their formatted schedule which leaves a lot of hope and optimism, which is awesome, which is it's great. But if they somehow cancel the season, I think that leaves – I think that hurts Jamie Newman. Right. Jamie Newman's coming – a guy that came from his best target was Sage Surratt, who I think is – I named him in one of the – in another deep class for next year's draft class. He's coming from a guy that, yeah, the ACC is the third best conference in college football. Your, your guy coming from the ACC to playing at arguably the SC, the arguably not the best conference in college football, but the to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Don't have a season. I think that hurts Jamie Newman's draft stock. Oh, it's got to hurt it hurt it tremendously. Um, like you were saying, man, it's it's not good because I mean at that point you don't have the tape against. Which is perhaps the best defenses, well, not perhaps, it is the best defenses you are going to face. I mean, coming from the ACC, you got decent defenses, but you also are playing um, much more weak competition towards the bottom of the com- the bottom of the conference. And the SEC, it's a dog battle day in day out, no matter who you're playing. So, like that's Jamie Newman's way of going when he tra- decided to transfer. He's like, I'm going to go to Georgia. I'm going to be playing the best defenses weekend out. And it's just going to be that way, and I'm going to prove myself, and I'm going to raise my draft stock. And if there's no season, and all they have, all NFL scouts have, and all NFL GMs have is just tape off of him at Wake Forest playing weaker ACC competition and then kind of, you know, falling apart or not showing up in the big ACC games, and that's not a really good look um, heading into the draft, even though... His intangibles are great. His measurements are great. He's probably going to test very well at the combine, but you haven't shown it against top-notch competition. And when you did face top-notch competition, you didn't really show what you could really do. So it's going to become a problem for him. And what's interesting? What's interesting is at his bowl game against Michigan State in 29 or this past season, he had a few uh, NFL scouts at his game. So I think there were some. I think there were quite a few people that really thought that he was going to enter the draft. Too. And I love what you're saying is the fact that he wants to come to the SEC, the best conference in college football, to prove that he can succeed in playing the best competition. And I think this is interesting is they've never had a mobile quarterback. Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback that's ever come out of Georgia. And I think if Jake Fromm would have stayed another year, he would have been that guy. He would have broken Stafford's passing yard record. Right. Stafford, Jake Fromm, even Jacob Eason, none of those guys are mobile. So I think that's going to be a really, really fun offense, a run-heavy offense, 
RVU, guys like Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, now DeAndre Swift. You have Samir White, who in the way too early uh, Heisman rankings was in the top 10, top 15. Like, he was up there. So I think in a run-heavy offense with a quarterback that has a lot of mobility, I think it's going to be a really, really fun team to watch. Oh, it definitely could be. I mean, could you imagine? And I think they just got a new OC as well who is more or has more experience um, in that field or in that particular type of offense. So pairing Jamie Newman with um, Zaire White is just going to be pretty amazing. Like, it's going to be pretty nasty to watch them, especially if they're running RPOs and all these other these other kinds of things. It's going to be pretty crazy. I mean, we know Zamir was overshadowed by DeAndre Swift last year, but um, he still had – um, 408 yards and three touchdowns and very limited action because DeAndre Swift was that good. He was one of those stud running backs that just come out of Georgia all the time. So you can't really fault him there. He did what he could. Um, he'll probably have a little bit um, of pressure from behind him with fellow running back, um, uh, last name Cook, Dalvin's little brother. But um, I don't think Cook is going to be able to test him for the amount of touches that Zamir is going to get. And with that and Jamie Newman in the background, that could be dangerous. So um, I hope JT Daniels thinks he made the right decision going to, to Georgia because I think Jamie Newman will provide a different level of offensive prowess than JT will. Yeah, JT Daniels, that's an interesting destination because that's something that I like it, but at the same time, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I think going into his junior season, I think he's got the talent to go on a team where he can compete and win the starting job. I think he'll go in and compete at Georgia, no question. But as of right now, I, I think I would give the advantage to Jamie Newman. And your point on the running backs is they also have a five-star recruit in Kendall Milton coming in. I forgot so, about that, man. Yeah, like that, that's a huge addition. One of the top recruits in that class. Because they had, they, had, they had Zach Evans locked in. Mm-hmm. And, right, and then that whole fiasco happened. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they had Zach Evans locked in. He left for TCU. <laughs> Just showed up but, on campus. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now they're getting Kendall Milton, who has loads of potential. Like, Georgia's RBU, you're getting a mobile quarterback. I'm interested to see how this offense will compare or, like, kind of differentiate from past from previous years when they haven't had a quarterback that can flourish in the run game. Right. I don't necessarily know if Jamie's necessarily going to flourish, but they're going to use him in the run game a lot more than Wake Forest did. I can guarantee you that. Um, <laughs> Wake Forest hardly used him in the run game. They usually made him as a drop-back passer. Guy sat in the shotgun, and then if he needed to run, he, he ran. But it wasn't until the defense had already collapsed around him, and he had to do something. So I think George is going to be able to let him open it up a little bit. You're a senior now. You have a little bit more confidence with what you can do. Um, even though you weren't able to show it at Wake Forest, we believe that you can. And then I think Georgia might even go more towards a multiple running back room um, instead of what they're used to in one just solid um, one one down through three uh, running back. It'll be more of a running back by committee. And if there's a guy who can catch better, there's he's going to go in on those third down situations where you might have screens. Um, so it's just going to be a real interesting offense. And then – also on that offensive side of the ball for Georgia is one of my favorite players to watch, um, and that's George Pickens, uh, one of the young wide receivers there in Georgia. This dude, man, <laughs> he's the real deal. And he's he's going into his, what, 
I think he was only a freshman, wasn't he? He was a freshman or sophomore. I think he was a freshman last year. Yeah, so he's going into his sophomore season. Just, yeah, just true freshman, too, not not redshirt. Right, true freshman. right. A true freshman putting up those stats. And, like, he had Jake Fromm. And, like, I think people could argue that Jake Fromm could have stayed back because of a bit of his consistency issues. But he, I think he really stood out. I think his name popped out a little bit more is because when he got ejected, um, <laughs> I think it was, it was against Florida, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, dude, George Pickens is the real deal. Um, I think outside of Jamar Chase in the SEC, George Pickens is another wide receiver to watch. Um, I mean, he, he, I, he, he won't be draft eligible until 22. But as of right now, I'm not going to make this, like, assumption now, but or fact now, I should say. But as of right now, if you're looking at the 22 draft class, George Pickens' name is right at the top of the list for the offensive guys. Oh, he would be my number one. Right. Just because of what he's shown so early. And I mean, it, as a true freshman, you mostly don't get playing time as a wide receiver. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. You just don't. That position's usually pretty deep, at least too deep at each spot. So, I mean, you got to really battle your way. And if you're as good as he is and you're able to make it to the number one, or well, he was probably, what, the number two or number three wide receiver last year. Um, let's not get it wrong. He wasn't number one, but, um, if you can do that as a true freshman, that really goes to show that you're going to be something special, especially once you get to your junior year. <laughs> and then, right. And then and like, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to throw out the stats he did have as a true freshman last year. Um, and he ended with 49 catches for 727 yards with eight touchdowns as a true freshman. <laughs> yeah. And like, that just shows, let alone how much potential this guy has after only one year of playing in the SEC. And he won't be he has he has two more full seasons until he's draft eligible. So like that's unbelievable. So and if he has oh, a thousand yard season this next year, like he's already gonna be up to seventeen twenty seven yards. <laughs> In two years of college football, and you still got one to go. So, I mean, that's if pretty, he, right? I mean, if he broke 700 as a true freshman, and Jamie and Jamie Newman, because this is a guy that has a lot of hype around him, and there's a lot of people that are almost putting the overrated tag on him because he's all of a sudden seen his first round talent. I like Jamie Newman a lot, and I think that's a huge pickup for Georgia. But I need to see more of him before I. I think we both need to see more of him. I don't want to speak for you, but I want to see more of him before I put that first-round talent on him. But if Jamie Newman yeah. lives up to the hype, and George Pickens, he broke 700 yards as a true freshman, I see no I see no issue why George Pickens cannot either break 1,000 or even get darn close to it. Well, like you were saying, it all comes back to Jamie Newman. <laughs> so, ultimately... George Pickens is going to have to have Jamie Newman or like have to help, excuse me, Jamie Newman be able to spread this ball around because these other wide receivers we don't really know about on Georgia. Like we know Pickens is the guy. So George is kind of going to have to kind of burden that load now. So we're kind of going to see him kind of change um, like characters, if you will. Like instead of being the third guy, you're now the number one. You're going to be getting doubled. You got to figure out how to get out of that, and it's a lot tougher than when you're the three, the number two or number three wide receiver on the depth chart, you know. So, 
it's going to take a real step forward for George Pickens to be able to help out his quarterback and Jamie Newman. But I also believe on the opposite side of that, that with the type of offense Georgia, in my opinion, is turning towards this season, I'm not sure if they're going to stick with it, but the way they're going this season and how it's going to be a little bit more open, it's going to open up space for Pickens to be able to do that. Um, those RPOs are going to be able to let Pickens go in short yardage situations and be able to get slants or the little five-step in out, you know, those little things like that, which is he, which is in more, more of my opinion that he needs to be able to work on that because a lot of what we saw last year out of him was the big threat, you know, the big guy who's going to, who's going to catch that touchdown pass and just run for 40 yards afterwards. So, I mean, that's, that's really, we got to see George be able to take on that burden of being the number one wide receiver. And, but at the end of the day, I think it is going to happen because of the type of offense Georgia and Jamie Newman and Zamir White, all those guys are saying before, are going to be able to help him to be able to get open. Right. And another position, one last position I want to talk about on the offensive side before we move the defense is that offensive line. And I know we both brought up Ben Cleveland. This dude is, <laughs> I don't know why I said, what did I say? Like, just under 300. The dude's over 350 pounds. <laughs> he's, over, he's over 350 pounds. He's 6'6", six, six, or 6'4", six, 6'6", six, 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 and this dude, has he screams versatility. I think he's one of the most underrated SEC linemen um, coming into the draft. I, someone wrote an article that, that he could be the scariest offensive lineman in the SEC. Wow. And another big name that they're losing to Tennessee Another mountain of man, but another mountain of a man, and that's Cade Mays. Cade Mays, like a guy that excels in the run game, and his speed, and a guy that can play interior line, and a lot. I mean, Ben Cleveland screams versatility, but Cade Mays is a guy with a guy his size, six six, like just under three hundred and twenty pounds. The dude has very impressive speed. Yeah, I mean that's that's a positive that they're that he's gonna be there. But ultimately, I don't know how good Georgia's offensive line is. I know you're raving and everything about it, but they're losing uh, Andrew Thomas, dude. I mean he was a real big uh, captain of that offensive line, so we're gonna need to see somebody step up and be that. Um, whether that's Ben Cleveland or not, I mean we'll see. Um, but I think Georgia's whole thing kind of relies on their offensive season. How's it gonna turn out? And they lost. Um... Andrew Thomas, they also lost Solomon Kinley. There you go. Um, so, I mean, they're RBU, but a big reason why they are RBU is because they have an elite offensive line. Look at look at what Wisconsin has produced um, with running backs. I mean, it's I would say it's except, exceptional. Melvin Gordon, James White, who is arguably one of the best um, pass catchers as a running back in the league, and... Now they bring in Jonathan Taylor, but look look at the front line that they're built with. They lost Tyler, Tyler Biotish, a Hall of Famer in Joe Thomas, Kevin Zeitler. I mean, that list just goes on and on. And, like, I think a big reason why Georgia is obviously they have tons and tons of talent and potential in that running back, in the running back room every year. But you got to give a, a big – you got to give some sort of credit to that offensive line. And like you mentioned – they lost Andrew Thomas and also Solomon Kinley, so they're going to need someone to step up. And, right. and Ben Cleveland going into his what, senior year, I think he's going to be the guy. I, th I think he very well could be the guy to step up. I think he's going to be, but I think he's got to prove it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely got to watch them. I mean, they should step up. I mean, uh, Georgia produces offensive linemen just about as well as Alabama does, in my opinion. So it doesn't, it won't surprise me if there's no problems up there at all, just because it's, you know, next man up type deal. But I mean, if there's any real question mark, it might be that. But um, other than, you know, the obvious things of how is this offense going to work as a whole. So. Right. Um, And the one big name that really stands out, he's already getting first round grades around him. And that's Richard LeCount. This dude is like going into his senior year. He's the guy to step, not only step up his game like like he already like even more from last year, but really make a bigger name and a bigger impact. And he's going to be the leader on that defense. Yeah, he is for sure. I mean, he. I don't know. Like last year, watching Alabama or excuse me, Georgia play, they could have had a lot of big plays on them, but it was always. McCount, who was always there to stop it. Like, I don't know why he was just always in the right place, right time, what it was. He put up pretty decent numbers. So he had 60, or not pretty decent. These are pretty good numbers. 61 tackles, four and a half for loss, four picks, two forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and three passes defended. So dude plays all over the field, um, and he's done a great job. I mean, look at how many elite wide receivers we were talking about um, earlier in the show and everything like that. I mean, you got Waddle, you got... Um, uh, Jameer Chase, you got all these elite wide receivers in the SEC. You're going to need somebody to be able to prevent them from busting a big play because that's what these guys do. And LeCount is just really that guy. He's there. He's there when you need him to be. And um, he was like one of the better defenders on that Georgia defense last year. Yeah, and I, I really like that you said he manages to be he's very he's always at the right place in the right time. Like he's always a guy. His, he's one of the very like he's one of the names that pops up on that defense on a guy that makes big game changing plays. Yep, like it appears that's all he does. Like I just don't understand how somebody like oh it's almost luck. Like if I was out there, that would be luck. Like <laughs> like that like if I was out there patrolling the field and I happen to make like big play after big play or a big stop after a big stop, then like. I'd be like, okay, like this, this has got to be something's going on. But this guy just does it naturally, and it's really fun to watch. And he deserves all the amount of talk he's getting because I didn't think he got enough of it last year. Yeah, I mean, th- this dude definitely, like, like you mentioned, with his athleticism, he can play anywhere on the open field. He's elusive. I mean, I see no reason why this guy is not first-round talent, and I would love to hear arguments saying why. I mean, like he's one of the best secondary prospects in this draft. Yeah, he definitely is, especially at the safety position. The safety position, um, always not normally too deep, but um, it could be decent this year. There's a pretty decent amount of good safeties out there, especially in the SEC, but um, that's good for him to be that high up, especially at the safety position. Right. And he definitely leads the pack of he leads the pack of not alone not only the safety position but um, the rest of that secondary core. I mean, now you have you have Derek Stingley, Sean Wade, and now you have Richard LeCount. So I think Richard LeCount is a guy, and I 100% agree with you. I think he should be getting talked to, he should be getting talked about more because LSU might be DBU, but 
if you look at a guy that, like Xavier McKinney did at Alabama, yeah. Richard LeCount is a guy that screams a load of versatility, and that's it's, huge for a secondary. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if you can line up at boundary corner, like whenever it's called, a pound, called upon or line up in the nickel per se and be able to back it up playing just safety, like single safety up top, like – and then come down for a rush, too, and then maybe blitz off the edge. You, you can play him anywhere. You you can literally play him anywhere. And um, watching his film, it's just like he kind of just hides away, and you don't notice him until he's making the play, which is really what you want out of a super versatile player because they're not, you know, they're not shying away from you because you're staying hidden and you're still making these plays. So it's really good for him to continue that. And kind of lay low and and play that type of position. And that's what's so unique about that too is like you're you're like so many plays on that defense. You're never gonna know when he pops up. And oh, there he is, making that game changing play for the stop. I mean, like it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. And then he gets a little help um, out of the rest of his defense too. But one of the other guys I kind of wanted to point out was uh, Monty Rice, the linebacker. Um, he was kind of one of the big tacklers there and kind of just run stuffers and kind of just helped out the defense doing the dirty work and whatnot when they weren't making big plays. And uh, he was one of the top leaders of that, one of the top, or Alabama, again, getting Alabama and Georgia <laughs> confused, man. I don't know why. But um, that Georgia defense um, last year that only allowed 275.7 yards per game. So he ended the year with 89 tackles, three for loss, and three passes defended. So, you know, he's just kind of roaming the field there and just looking to, looking for ball, and that's kind of one of those solid guys you want there in the middle to to kind of anchor that defense. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the roster on that defense, Georgia is going to be losing quite a bit of talent. I mean, Richard LeCount leads the pack, Monty Price, so much in that middle core. I mean, Walter Grant, Malik Herring, like, they're going to be losing a lot. So, I mean, going from next year – they're going to have a lot. I mean, they might have, ton, might have a ton of recruits coming in, but they're going to have a lot of unproven talent. And Richard LeCount is going to lead the pack of big shoes to fill on that defense. Yep, that's for sure. I mean, a, a lot of these teams are losing a lot um, besides Alabama. But, I mean, it's addition by subtraction, in my opinion. It's the SEC. They come, they go, and they come, and they go. So, I mean... <laughs> It's just the round table, especially with those mm-hmm. upper echelon SEC teams like Georgia, like LSU, like the Alabamas. Um, if you want to, maybe throw Florida in there, but um, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> that actually brings us to our next team. <laughs> and I want to start right away um, with Kyle Trask from the Florida Gators. And what I really don't understand is – the dude is unbelievably talented. Don't get me wrong. But right. what I don't understand is, like, I mean, 247 Sports did this, like, a few weeks ago. They were ranking, like, top players by each position in the SEC. If I'm not wrong, I'm pretty sure Kyle Trask was their top quarterback in, like, <laughs> in the SEC. Dude, like, really? Like, Kyle Trask, to me, like, I think he's talented, but he's getting so much hype. Like, I think Jamie Newman's getting a ton of hype, and I think he has all the potential in the world to live up to that, but Kyle Trask, like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just don't know if Kyle Trask should be getting the hype that he's getting. 
I mean, your reaction speaks for a lot of people. I mean, hey, we might be wrong, but I'm I'm right there with you, man. I'm in the same boat. I don't understand why there's so much hype around him. He he, there's people comparing him out there to like a Joe Burrow s situation. Oh, a Joe Burrow s situation because he transferred after his sophomore year. He was there for his junior, and now he's coming back for his senior year. Same thing Joe Burrow did at LSU, transferring from Ohio State. This is not a Joe Burrow situation. I'm sorry to break your hearts, folks, but it's not. I'm sorry, Florida fans, but it's not the same situation. Okay? Kyle Trask, he's a good quarterback. Like you were saying, Sam, he's a good quarterback. We can respect the fact he's a good quarterback. But the things that Joe Burrow can do and could do last season with the LSU offense is not the same with Kyle Trask at Florida. First off, he didn't have Justin Jefferson. He didn't have Jamar Chase. Yes, he had Van Van Jefferson. Okay, whatever. Van Jefferson, we all saw what happened with him. He didn't get drafted until fifth round. Whatever, okay? He did with what he what he could, and it's just not the same, in my opinion. Kyle Trask cannot make the plays that Joe Burrow did. He's not the type to do that. He fits Florida's offense, what Dan Mullen wants his offense to do, and he's going to do it. Um, he's going to put up points. Yeah, he's going to be decent. Yeah, but he's not going to be the number one overall draft pick. I'm sorry, people. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, he's also, there's inexperience there. Florida net, Florida has struggled for years to bring in a running back that's of decent caliber. Like, you never hear of a Florida running back getting drafted since, what, Emmett Smith? I can't tell you. Or, or Percy Harvin, I guess. You can say Chris Rainey, maybe, like, all those years ago, back when Urban Meyer was still coaching a team. But since then, there's been no running back, so he doesn't have any help in the run game. So it's all passing. And if you can't rely on a run game to help you out, defenses are going to eat you alive. And I think we're finally going to see that this season with him. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the money there. I mean, like, they're not good at producing running backs. It's been, I couldn't even name it either. LaMichael P. Ryan was drafted late in the later day three by the Jets. I think he's good. Like, he's he's talented. He's a little bit undersized for a running back. I mean, Florida has weapons. They have Kyle Pitts, who I right, think is tight a tight end. Yeah. Like, I think Kyle Pitts should be talked about more. I mean, Pat Freemuth is getting all the attention. Brevin Jordan... But Kyle Pitts should be a guy that's getting talked about. Yeah, you said they had Van Jefferson drafted. I want to see, he, think he was in the second, second or third round, round second. second round by the Rams. Um, and they also have Trevin Grimes. And I think he, this is a guy that I see a lot of potential. And I think he's, a, I think he could be the guy that steps up. And Kyle Pitts might be maybe their primary target, but I think Trevin Grimes, what's that? He's going to have to be in my opinion. Yeah, he's going to have to be. I mean, Trevin Grimes is unproven. But I think he was, I think when he was given the chance and the opportunity, I think we saw tons of sparks in him. But is this a Joe Burrow super team? LaMichael P. Ryan is not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Outside of Joe Burrow on that offense, Clyde Edwards Hilaire was the other guy that kept that offense moving. Mm-hmm. LaMichael P. Ryan is not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Ben <laughs> Jefferson was not Jamar Chase. Trevin Grimes is not Justin Jefferson. Thad Moss, Steven Sullivan, no. I mean, Kyle, the tight end position is probably the only one on that offense that beats it. That you could even compare it to. Right, exactly. And, like, I would take Kyle Pitts any day of the week, obviously. But, like, Kyle Pitts, to me, is is, he's unreal. And like you mentioned, he's going to have to be the number one target. That wide receiver room, now that Van Jefferson's gone, 
the big guy to step up is Trevin Grimes. And Trevin Grimes, if I'm not mistaken, I I want to say he was draft eligible the last this past year. So I think, I mean, that was huge news for him coming back. So I think he's going to be the guy to watch for on that offense. Oh, he, he definitely is going to be the wide receiver to watch for on that offense. I mean, that's just what it's going to be. I mean, he's he's going to be a playmaker. We know that. But outside of their one and then their tight end, they don't have much else. You don't have anybody that can stack up, in my opinion, that's going to be able to create separation other than those two. So you want to run seams and then get your your number one wide receiver, number one option out there somewhere on one-on-one coverage, try it, go ahead, but it's probably going to be easy to kind of lock in on at some point. You know, you're, it's not going to be difficult to, but we'll see. Um, again, I respect Kyle Trask for the job he did last year. He made games very interesting. I mean, he hung in there with, with LSU for a little bit last year. So, I mean, who knows? He could come out and shut me the hell up. So um, <laughs> we'll see. But like you were saying, Kyle Pitts is going to be uh, their go-to guy, man. He's an absolute animal at the tight end position. He had finished last season with 54 catches for 649 yards and five touchdowns mm-hmm. at the tight end. So um, putting up over 500 yards with um, five touchdowns and over 50 catches is pretty, pretty damn good for a college tight end. And especially a guy like that huge too, and a guy like his speed's not going to be something that wows you. I think it's it's yeah, four seven or just over four seven. But but like a guy that size though, like he's there's plays where you see him right, and like there's there's plays where you see him, he still does a really good job creating separation with the speed that he has and his size. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild what some of these guys can do at the weight that they're at. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine lugging around that and being able to move and <laughs> yet alone jump four feet up into the air to catch a football. I mean, right. <laughs> so, right. And I think we can, I think you and I can both agree that we can say this together, that Florida has the overrated tag on them. I mean, come on. They're in the top 10 every year and they disappoint. Well, I mean, it always reminds me, but, like, to a higher extent, because they're better than these two teams I'm about to mention, but it always reminds me of, like, um, how Miami is always back. You know, the U is back, mm-hmm. or, like, or Tennessee's back. Like it's, Texas you know, is back. Texas, <laughs> well, yeah, Texas is back. Well, it's the same thing. They, It's a little bubble of, like, hey, we're back, but we're going to be ranked in the top 15 into the season. We're going to have a big first game. And then we're going to be close that first game. We might lose by, like, three points. And then we just absolutely crap the bed. So, like, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, Florida's a little, like I was saying, Florida, in my opinion, is kind of above those Tennessees, those um, Texases, those Miamis or whatever. Um, just because I feel like they can considerably win about nine to 11 games each season. And so they kind of just coast in that direction. Yeah, and their defense lost David Reese, and they also lost Jonathan Bernard. And there were quite a few talented edge rushers in this draft. It wasn't super deep, but if you want to talk about a guy that's underrated, I think I think Jonathan Bernard should have gotten more attention. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that front line for the first half of the season Dumb. was elite. They were dominant. They were like they were one of the best 
in the SEC. They were at the top. Miami in that opening game last season was was that last season? Yeah, it was last season. Yeah. Yep. They were just, they just had they had what, what eight sacks. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. <laughs> like I don't think they got talked about enough. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you lost David Reese, you lost Jonathan Grenard, but you're still like you still have two seniors on the interior D line and Campbell and Kyrie Campbell and to Tedderell or Tedderell Slayton. If I'm butchering his name, I'm, I apologize, but. You have two leaders on that front defensive line, two guys that are big, they're explosive, and they're going to be the guys to fill in the shoes. Like, will those either of those two guys be the leaders or be talked about on that defense the way David Reese and Jonathan Grenard were? Uh, I'm not sure, dude. I kind of feel like a lot of the non-talk is because we have become – it's just one of those things, like, it's it's just so natural and now it's so ingrained. Like, you know, like, we, you know, like LeBron, like, we we just don't appreciate him enough because we know what to expect. You know, like, we just get so used to something over and over and over again that it's just like, okay, that's normal. Like, what, what, did, what did you expect, you know? So I think that's kind of a similar thing that we have kind of run into here when it comes to Florida's defense, like, you expect that. So you don't get the talk anymore. You don't get the, you know, the flash or the this or that. And because it's just the years and years and years of great D line, great corner, great defense overall, great linebacker. I mean, it's just, it's just how it is at Florida. They will always be able to recruit and bring in and coach top defensive lines, top linebackers, top corners. And be successful at it. I don't, it's just no matter who's in there at D coordinator, D coordinator, they bring in top elite talent and they play very well on the defensive end of the ball. And I think that's just kind of where it's fallen into. Like nobody talks about it anymore because you expect that out of a Florida defense. Right. And like that defense is arguably one of the most consistent defenses that we've seen ever in recent years. Yep. So, I mean, It'll be interesting, and I think one of those guys very well could be. Otherwise, we could see because there's lots of guys coming in going into their sophomore. I want to say there's quite a few sophomores on their defense. So I would almost bet you if it's not those two guys, there's going to be a guy. And like you mentioned, they're always going to be good. There's always going to be some sort of recruit. And that's the weird thing about the SEC. And like we mentioned this about Alabama is a prime example of that. Like, there's so many, there's a few SEC teams out there, like, if they get hurt, oh, who cares? They have a four- or five-star recruit that's going to come in and flourish almost right away or produce right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So the next team is the Auburn Tigers. And I don't know about you, and I, I really feel like, Gus Malzahn, it seems like Gus Malzahn's in the hot seat, like, almost every year now. Uh, it's, like, it's, it's every year. Right. I mean, it's and been then, going on since, like, 2013, man. It's, right. I uh, just don't, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> they I don't can't. Know if, that's just, if that's just media or just, I guess, coaching at Auburn or what the deal is with that, but, I mean, it's it's a different <laughs> different league when it comes to that hot seat questions because for some reason his name just always ends up on the yep, list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. And now they have 
Bonix, who I'm not sold on. Yeah, he played he played like any other freshman quarterback would. I mean, there's games where yeah, he looked pretty impressive. I wanted the, the comeback or the third quarter game against Oregon. He looked pretty impressive. But then there's other games like he just did not look good at all. I mean, I think he's better than Jarrett Stidham because I didn't really think Jarrett Stidham, come on now. Like Jarrett Stidham's garbage. He's not gonna win he's not gonna lead an NFL franchise. Oh, uh, you're gonna eat the Patriots fans. <laughs> Jarrett Stidham is not the guy. I mean, I I will say I wanna see more of him before I make that before I make that assumption, but I don't think Jarrett Stidham is their guy. I don't think Bo Nix I think Bo Nix has a lot of hype. Bo Nix is like the top five right now and the Heisman candidate for next year. <laughs> and that's just that just in Stephen A. Smith's words, that's blasphemous. Yeah. I, I don't is. get that. Like I don't understand that. It is. I mean it's completely blasphemous. I mean it's just the hype that he came into in just even like his first game alone. Like right. oh, like this kid has always been an Auburn fan, son of so and so and he was destined to lead Auburn to this, that, and the next thing and whatever. And it was just like, like slow down. The kid hasn't even played his first game. And like we kind of saw that on play throughout the season. Like I wonder if it just kind of not necessarily got to his head, but like he kind of was like, okay, like now I have all this to live up to and I don't know if I'm necessarily ready for it. But he did his best. Like he did a pretty, pretty decent job. Like you were saying, he did, he played well. Led him to a winning record, whatever. Um, but like you were saying, you're not completely bought in, and I think you're bought in for the same. Re- you're not bought in for this pretty much the same reason that I am, and that's because we don't really know what um, his arms, his arm talent is going to be. Whether that be accuracy, whether it be arm strength, we know he's mobile. We know he can move. We know he can throw outside the pocket, but. Where is that arm talent outside of that come in when it comes to fitting a ball in tight, where it comes into hitting a deep ball and accuracy at the same time? You know, those NFL throws we haven't seen. It's kind of been system like we typically see with Auburn's offense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're they have weapons. They have Anthony Schwartz, whose name actually popped up quite a bit during the season. Seth Williams. Seth Williams. I mean, Seth Williams is probably their number one receiver, both going into, what, their, I think, sophomore year. And, I mean, they're young. They have two more years before they're draft eligible. And like you mentioned with Bo Nix, I need to see more of him before I'm sold. And neither Schwartz, like, Schwartz's stats aren't going to wow you. They're not going to stick out. But I think he's got plenty of room to grow. And I think Seth Williams is another prime example of that. 800 receiving yards, 800, just over 800, that's promising. With and eight think, touchdowns, so that's pretty good. Right, and, like, that's that's promising stats. And, like, another point I want to bring up is going back to the LSU Tigers with Justin Jefferson. A lot of people were saying, like, he was a one-year wonder. Look at his stats. Like, I mean, Joe Burrow's stats was just over 2,000 yards and I want to say 15, 16 touchdowns. His first year at LSU, mm-hmm. and then obviously they like they skyrocketed, and Justin Jefferson's did the same. He went from, I mean, Jefferson's had what 870 something yards. I don't recall how many touchdowns he had, but like that's promising. Right. Like, I don't, like that's also promising. Like Seth, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz has a lot of room to grow, as does Bo Nix. But I mean, Seth Williams is going to be the other guy to talk about on that Auburn offense. 
I mean, he 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 is going to be the go-to guy. I mean, he's I'm looking over two, four, seven now, and they've got like the top thirty players of um, in the SEC this upcoming season. And Seth Williams is ranked number eleven in the SEC. So, I mean, that should tell you enough about the type of potential that not only us fans see, but also those experts out there. So, like, these guys who see these guys day in, day out, do nothing but break them down and tear them apart. So, like, him being up ranked that high to me just kind of shows me, hey, keep an eye on this guy to really just kind of bust it open this next year in Auburn's offense and be Bo Nix's go-to reliable guy. And, it can only help matters that they just brought in. Um, I think he was the ex head coach at Arkansas, and he's now the new offensive co- offensive coordinator, excuse me, at Auburn, and that's Chad Morris. Yeah, was that and right that he was the Arkansas's old head coach? I believe so, because Arkansas did have a brief stint with Brett Belima, and now he's with the Patriots. I th- you you are right on that one. It's Chad Morris. Cool. Cool. Um, so, I mean, Bo Nix has to live up to his hype. I think, I mean, yeah, we said Jamie Newman's under pressure, but, and I like your point that you brought up earlier is, yeah, okay, maybe the hype is getting to my head, and maybe that, like, the, we saw a little bit of that inconsistency in him. Maybe that was part of the reason the media got to him. But, I mean, there, there's time, like, He's inconsistent. I don't understand why he's in the top five. But I think Seth Williams, like you mentioned, like he's one of the top guys that 247 ranked him at the wide receiver position in the SEC with promising stats. And Seth Williams very well could help um, Bo Nix flourish. You just, I mean, that's, they're kind of going to go hand in hand. You help me, I help you type deal. And I think back to the Bo Nix thing is that it just kind of probably created a little hesitation for him. Like, is this going to be the right throw or is this going to be the right, the right move to make on this play? Like, do I call an audible here? Is this going to be the right thing? Not necessarily that it was too much for him, but you kind of start questioning yourself, not questioning yourself, but kind of overthinking things. And then that kind of turns into, you're not necessarily making the best decisions and, you're not making the complete right read or something. It's just so small, but you don't even realize it. And so you just got to get back into what you know and get back into the type of game you know how to play and be able to do that. Right. And going to their defense, I mean, their front line was hurt bad. They lost Derek Brown, and they also lost Marlon Davidson, who I think – Obviously, Derek Brown's better, but I think Marlon Davidson should have been talked about a little bit more. Um, I mean, now they're gaining. They were – K.J. Britt returning, I think, is huge for them. Oh, K.J. Britt returning for them is the best thing huge. that could happen for them. Exactly, the right. That That's happen. huge. Because, I mean, I mean, you had the 28th-ranked defense. Yeah, that's majority due to Marlon Davidson and, and Derek Brown, but – you always forget about the one guy who's not mentioned, like, you know, the one guy who does a lot of the work that you don't hear about. So that's KJ Britt in this situation. Right. And they have a lot, like they have young guys in that interior line, but I mean, you're forgetting, I mean, their nose tackle Tyrone and another guy on their front line is big cat. <laughs> 
So that defense is going to be interesting to watch. Like like you mentioned, K.J. Britt is huge. He can play on the middle. He can play on the outside. That's huge. And, like, that, that's going to be the guy to, like, not only step up, but that's that's the guy that's going to be the leader of that pack. Yeah, it's big time. It's it's He's got to. I mean, he has he doesn't really have a choice now that right. his, his two other guys are gone. I mean, you can rely upon some of those other new cats, but uh, uh, I mean, you can you can only do so much, and you got to take that next step and be that leader. Even though who knows, he might have been last year, and we just didn't know it, and his name just wasn't talked about, like we were saying. And now he's he's time to step up. I mean, he put up 68 tackles, which are decent stats there for a linebacker, especially with those other guys there. So. Uh, time to back it up for another season, in my opinion, and hopefully he does because he was a very vital part to that defense. Right. And the next team is another actually well-known quarterback, and that's the Aggies, and that's Kellen Mond quarterback. And to me, I think there's times where Kellen Mond is not talked about enough. Um, yeah, I mean, he's one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the SEC, like you were saying. Um, a lot of these other guys are young. Um, guys at LSU, Alabama, all real young. Um, not necessarily experienced. Kellamon's the experienced guy in the SEC, especially the West, man. Um, which is kind of odd <laughs> now that we're talking about Kellamon being, um, one of the more experienced quarterbacks, because I feel like it was just yesterday that he was just getting to Texas A&M, and then Jimbo came, and then, Everything kind of changed, and um, it's going to be real weird. Uh, we see flashes from Kellen, but we don't see the consistency. It's just I don't I don't know um, what that has to deal with, whether it's changing into this new system with Jimbo and things of that nature, but um, still puts up decent stats. He passed for 2,897 yards and 20 touchdowns. Did have nine picks last year. Um, but they also played one of the toughest schedules. They had Kings versus Clemson, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia all last year. So the record um, doesn't really show how well he played. But, I mean, you throw up almost 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns just to nine interceptions. Um, and then you add his 501 yards on the ground with the eight touchdowns on the ground. That's a pretty decent season for Kellen. And hopefully we can continue to see him grow. Um, I know Jimbo Fisher um, – I'm a Florida State fan, so I know him personally from winning me a national championship back in my freshman year of college. And he's always just been known as he's the quarterback whisperer. He knows what to do ever since Jamarcus Russell back at LSU and all the, and EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, Jameis Winston. So like, I mean, he gets these guys to be first round draft picks, but to if they actually, you know, transfer that over to the NFL or not, that's up to them. And, um, it doesn't really happen. So maybe we can see Jimbo work some magic with Kellen here um, late in his career. And this is another team, too, where a year from now they're losing a ton. They're losing four of their five starting offensive line. They have two seniors on or on that receiving core. And then you have Kellen Mond, like you mentioned. He's the most experienced. Consistency is the biggest problem, no question. And I mean, he—I think he's got quite a bit to prove on that realm because if he entered this year, that takes a big plummet in his draft stock. Yeah, I completely agree because I mean, he's going to have an easier schedule. You're not playing Clemson next year. I mean, you're going to have an easier schedule than LSU, Bama, Auburn, and Georgia all in one season as well in the SEC. So you should see him take a step forward. 
but um, I mean, he, he could take a pretty decently large step forward, like you were saying. They have a very experienced offense there, and they're all um, real, at least decent. I mean, they're they're four, three to five star guys, so they're top notch. And Jimbo's got a good offense running there. Um, whether he makes the right decisions with Kevin Mon, that'll kind of be the tall tale sign, in my opinion. Is everything relies when it comes to Jimbo's offenses, it all relies on the quarterback and the head coach's um, relationship. And if that relationship flourishes, then that offense is going to flourish. So if they can somehow find their even means between each other, then Texas A&M's offense will take off. And the biggest loss on their defense, and another guy who, like Marlon Davidson, was overshadowed by Derrick Brown, this is the star of the Aggies' defense, and that's the front guy in Justin Medwige. So there's a guy. There's gonna be. There's gonna have to be a guy on that front line that's gonna have to fill in those pretty big shoes for Justin Medwige. Yeah, I mean he he's a pretty good player, but the uh, real player I like to look at on defense is Anthony Hines. But you want to tell us more about um, MBK? Yeah, I mean. Coming into the draft, I mean, this is a guy that can play all over the front areas of the defensive line. Coming from a Packer fan, the run defense was just atrocious. And Matt Abuike is a guy that definitely should have been talked about more. He would have came into the Packers. Outside of Kenny Clark, there's a lot of unproven talent. And that's why I think a lot of people think an actually former Aggie, Kingsley Kiki, will play a ton more. There's not a whole lot of depth. And I think Justin Madbuike would have helped a lot of run defenses. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, Anthony Hines, the linebacker there at Texas A&M, he really anchors that defense. Uh, he finished with 73 tackles, which was second on the team for, for tackles. And he also made 10.5 stops behind the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, if you can make 10.5 stops behind the line of scrimmage, you're pretty much a big playmaker coming out of the linebacker hole right there. Yeah. Definitely. So, and then we have Arkansas, who <laughs> their top receiver had over 400 reception yards, which is doesn't really say much. And that, then they get the grad transfer in Felipe Franks. And I think their run game in Rakeem Boyd is going to be the guy to make more of a name for himself. But I think the run game will improve a little bit more than the passing game will in Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, definitely. We all know Rakeem, Rakeem Boyd, if you've seen Netflix's Last Chance U, um, when they were at Independence Community College there in Kansas. Um, he was really one of the bright spots on that team and then made his way over to Arkansas after doing his time at Community College. And last year, he put up pretty amazing numbers for a guy coming out of a JUCO and going to the SEC, rushing for 1,133 yards for eight touchdowns. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You don't really see Juco guys, Juke, excuse me, Juco guys explode like that year one. Um, and the fact that he was given his chance, he was just a special guy. And um, expect much of the same this year. They're, um, like you said, Arkansas is getting a new quarterback, which is um, the transfer out of Florida, um, Felipe Franks. And they're also getting a new coach in Sam Pittman. So a uh, little bit of a different, different approach here. So we'll see how it goes. But I think they're definitely going to be a much improved team. But the only question but question mark here for me, excuse me, is, like you said before, the quarterback play out of Felipe Franks. Yeah, and and that's a big reason why Kyle Trask had the hype around him is because he saved the season. 
And I'm wondering, I mean, yeah, Arkansas will be better, but how much better will they actually be with not only Felipe Franks, but how much better will they be? They're playing an in-conference-only schedule now. So if the difficulty of their schedule really doesn't get much better, they're still playing Bama, they're still playing Georgia, and they're still playing LSU. I mean, to me, I still think they're going to be a team that's at the bottom of the conference. There's really no guy that I think that will step up. I mean, Rakeem Boyd's the only guy. They have Mike Woods, who was at, who was the top guy, who was the top reception yard leader. They're going to need more than a guy that only had 400 reception yards, which doesn't say much that led the fact that it led the team. They're going to need more than just Rakeem Boyd to like to to improve and do well on that offense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're like you said, dude, if your top wide receiver has 400 yards receiving, <laughs> that is not helpful at all. Like, you're pretty much just asking the defense to go eight in the box. Like, <laughs> what else do you want them to do when your leading receiver has 400 yards? You're gonna need somebody on that Arkansas offense to step up on the outside and be able to create some space so that Raheem Boyd and not Felipe Franks, he's not going to run, but Rakeem Boyd can kind of run loose and run wild. And, I mean, if Felipe is a better quarterback, then I forget who was their quarterback last season, but if he's a better quarterback, which I assume he was, or else they wouldn't accept him as a transfer, um, then he'll be your starting quarterback, and hopefully he'll be able to get their guys some more balls, some more accurate balls. But um, with seeing past Felipe Frank play. Um, I'm not too confident in that myself. No. and I, Right. And I, I think he has a lot to prove. And to me, I kind of think that speaks a little bit of volume that he's moving from Florida, who was the top of the pack, always has been the top of the pack in the SEC, to going to a team that does, really doesn't have a whole lot to work with. And I think Mike Woods and the Felipe Franks is kind of the you help me, I help you, similar to the Bo Nicks to the Bo Nix, uh, Seth Williams. So I yeah. think, and like you mentioned, my, my 400, over 400 reception yards, that's not impressive at all. No. I mean, even coming from Arkansas, the SC, no, that's not impressive. Maybe if you're playing at a low D1 school, and you're maybe. Like, yeah, well, yeah, if you're the number one guy, but if you're putting up 400 yards, you're... Actually, you're I wouldn't even say guard. D1. Like, if you're playing at a D3 school, yeah, I'm sure that's impressive. But, like, come on, like, if you're... If you're I mean, putting up some of those guys put up better numbers than that. Right, right. And I I've never been a really like, I've never been a huge fan of Felipe Franks. I like Kyle Trask a lot. He's I think he's got a lot to prove and I think he's got I think he has to live up to the hype. Yeah. Then more than just one year of saving the season, which is my which is why he's getting all that hype. And I think it speaks a little bit of volume that Felipe Franks is going from a team that has always had weapons to a team that doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Yeah, I mean, it tells you a lot about Felipe Franks and what that old Florida quarterback room used to look like. I mean, it wasn't very special if Felipe Franks is your starting quarterback, and it's kind of obvious now that he's transferred over to Arkansas. I mean, he might be good for Arkansas, but he wasn't good for Florida. I mean, I remember seeing him talking to camera like he was the absolute best thing to ever happen to the University of Florida at quarterback. And I was just like, dude, you are barking up the wrong team. <laughs> I was like, you don't know. Like, And then, like, the next drive after that, he throws a pick right to the defender. So it's like, 
there you go. I mean, that's Felipe Franks for you. You're going to make a great play, most likely because one of your weapons did when you're at the University of Florida. And then you're going to come back and throw it right to the middle of the chest of a linebacker. So, yeah, that's the Felipe Franks I know and love. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll see if it gets better at Arkansas. Yeah, definitely a guy with a huge ego. And <laughs> I think he definitely has to live up. Like he had, he has no right to. I don't think he has any right to have that ego. A grad transfer coming in to Arkansas, like Arkansas is not going to be good for a very, very long time. I mean, they're they're always, they're never going to be better than Bama. Obviously, they're not like they're they're always going to be at the bottom of the SEC for years to come. If they don't bring in anyone, to me, like, I mean, no. No one's going to want to come to Arkansas because they really don't have a whole lot to show for their football program. Not at all. That's why a lot of their recruiting and everything's in state. So, I mean, you kind of get what you get. Right. So, going on, I mean, their defense really doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Their defense really needs a guy to step up. There's really no guy last year that stood out more than others. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know anybody on Arkansas's defense, so I can't really – talk much on that and not off the top of my head i can't i definitely have to look it up <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean um, just the way the world works there yeah <laughs> so two more teams so the last they're the second last team is the kentucky wildcats and there's always been like one or two players in the past like year or so that can kentucky's producing because like the, if you want to talk about a team that is almost kind of slept on or a team that like should be talked about more in the SEC that's kind of up and coming. Kentucky very well could be in that realm. Like I mean, uh, Lynn Bowden is a huge loss. Yeah, he's a huge loss for them. But I mean, like you're saying, they've always got the couple of guys. And for some reason, I was thinking while you were introducing Kentucky, is that like you never really know about them until like halfway through the season. Right. Right. I mean, last year they had, or in the 2019, they had Josh Allen, who went in the top 10. And the fact that he fell all the way to the Jaguars was that, like an absolute steal. I mean, I, the fact that Isaiah Simmons fell all the way to the Cardinals was a steal. I mean, Josh Allen like was that guy at the draft. You had Josh Allen, elite player, coming out of Kentucky. And now you have Lynn Bowden, who was drafted by the Raiders. And, I mean, this is a really fun guy. I mean, this is a guy that can not only play quarterback, but he can be used in so many scenarios and situations on that offense. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, too. Like, they they picked up uh, – they got Gatewood, that uh, quarterback that's going to be coming in as a freshman and is pretty highly touted. So, um it's kind of odd. Like, you see them grab some, like, weird uh, – not weird, but, like, some – four stars here and there and you're kind of like huh but for some reason you never hear about them for another two years or anything and i just feel like kentucky kind of does things the old way like you gotta it comes like seniority first and you work your way up to that and then at that at a certain point you're going to mature enough and be able to play the way we want you to play right and like this is a team in the sec that just now, like, people are realizing they're starting to be, like, really sneaky good at developing guys at certain positions. Mm-hmm. 
which is weird. I mean, they've they've produced great running backs lately, and it's just it's just odd to me that like a lot of these guys are probably what three stars, like when they when Kentucky gets them, and then they turn them into top NFL draft picks. So it's not not necessarily top top of your your cream of your crop or whatever, but they turn out to be really good players and and they transfer well over to the NFL. Yeah, and I mean, like Arkansas, as of right now, there's not a whole lot of guys I can think of that really stand out more than others going into this season. Uh, I mean, I'm re- literally looking at their roster right now, and the only name that really pops out to me is, I mean, no, I can't even really tell you. I mean, I can say Akeem Hayes sounds sounds about right, but like I can't really tell you for sure. Like, I mean, he sounds like I've heard his name before. I've heard him make plays before. And then Joey Gatewood, because he's a big, he was a decently big football recruitment, but he's just a freshman, so he's not going to start. And then, yeah, they also got Bo Allen. So, like, it's just going to be real weird. I, I'm sure Joey Gatewood might might start the season, but we'll see. There's been games where they've been close to upsetting teams around the country. Yeah, I mean, they beat Florida a couple years back. I mean, I just don't – they finished 8-5 and five last year, so, I mean, they should be right around there, I would assume, again. I mean, they're just – I feel like they just can't get over that hump. I love their coach, um, one of the Stoops, Mark Stoops. So, I feel like he's got them in a good position. I don't think he's going to be fired anytime soon, so – um, if you can continue to build and get into these areas and find these players that are really going to develop and pan out well and that these coaches that he has on his staff and everything are going to be able to push them and progress those guys to the levels that they want to be, then uh, he'll continue to be sitting right around 8, 10 wins each season. Right. And, like, it's crazy is because not only, like, they're they're a team that has guys like Lynn Bowden – Lynn Bowden's a great example. Nobody knew about them until halfway, but they have the talent that nobody knows about, and they somehow stay consistent every year now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but hey, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, yeah. Kentucky. So the last team is the Mississippi State, and the big one of the big moves that they made, big move, was snagging Washington State head coach. Mike Leach. And another one was grad transfer out of Stanford in KJ Costello. <laughs> it just reminds me of Hornybrook coming down to Florida State, but <laughs> we'll forget about that. Um, but, yeah, big big thing about this um, Mississippi State team is obviously head coach Mike Leach coming over um, from Washington State, which is a big deal for them. I love Mike Leach as a head coach. I think he's one of the weirdest guys ever, but I find him also hilarious at the same time. Um, I know they had a couple of players transfer, a couple of big names off their defense, um, all because of there was something that happened on social media and Twitter with Mike Leach. We won't get into that, but um, but yeah, they got KJ Costello um, out of Stanford, the quarterback, as a transfer. Um, and he played decent at Stanford, but we all know like Stanford's not necessarily known for their passing or anything like that. They're more of a, you know, run first and then yep, and then we'll then we'll pass when we need to. So um who knows how he'll do. I don't necessarily view KJ Costello as a necessarily 
necessarily a Mike Leach type quarterback. Um, in my opinion, you need somebody who can kind of escape pressure and then step up in the pocket, move where he needs to, and chug it downfield in that air raid. So I don't know if KJ Costello is that guy, but I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, KJ Costello, that's an interesting one. And like, yeah, I mean, obviously Stanford had Christian McCaffrey. There's never really been a wide receiver coming out of Stanford that has really wild the eyes of NFL scouts and analysts. And like, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is, I mean, probably one of the only running backs coming out of Stanford that has really obviously made a name for himself. But, I mean, it's interesting because Mike Leach is coming from the Pac-12 where he had Anthony Gordon as his quarterback. And, I mean, that was a team when they had Luke Falk a few years ago. And what is his name? Gage Marks? Gabe Marks? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, that was a fun offense to watch. That was a really fun offense to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to have to be a guy – for, I mean, there's going to have to be a weapon that's going to have to step up for KJ Costello. And, I mean, he, he's got the skill set to succeed in a Mike Leach offense, but he's got to prove it. Yeah, I mean, on the outside, somebody's going to have to step up because uh, they can't rely on their running back, uh, Kylan Hill. I mean, they can rely on him, but you don't want to put, put too much pressure on the guy. Like, you can't. Um, you don't want to run him into the dirt or anything, but he's racked up over 2,500 yards in the past three years at Mississippi State. So you already know you've got one playmaker. Now it's time for somebody else to step up. There's nobody like Kylan Hill doesn't really split any carries. And like the fact that like a workhorse running back like Kylan Hill, a workhorse running back is always a big plus. But when you're going into the NFL and you already have like you're already the workhorse running back, you've got those miles on you. Right. You've got the miles, you've got the – but at the same time, if you're already dealing with injuries, I mean, that can hurt you. But like and you, you mentioned – like Todd Gurley. Right, right. And that, like that's a great example because Todd, Todd Gurley – Todd Gurley is even getting the overrated tag on him because Todd Gurley's knee was – it's, it's acting up from when he tore his ACL at Georgia. Yep. And all so, Georgia did was run him, so – Right, exactly, exactly. So I mean, Kylan Hill, they have they have a star in their run game, but there's got to be someone to step up in their passing game. What'll be interesting is we've seen Mississippi State rely on Kylan Hill, but now with Mike Leach coming in and moving over to that air raid right. offense, how is he gonna, you know, fit? Like how where is Mike Leach gonna put him? He could play he could put him all over the field. He's an absolute playmaker. So if you want to throw Kylan Hill in the slot. That just creates a whole other dynamic. And honestly, I could see Kylan Hill being both your leading rusher and your leading wide receiver for Mississippi State next year. He He's highly unproven in the receiving game just because of how he was used right. in his previous years. But with the Mike Leach, like Kylan Hill had, like you mentioned, like Kylan Hill has all the tools and the skill set. To be that guy. Well, and his like, vision and the way he moves and everything. Right. I mean, you could put him any. You could put him at wide receiver in the slot, and he'd do perfectly fine. Right. And like I mentioned, I mean, I wrote an article earlier today about you know Benjamin. Like his speed's not going to wow you, but like he's shifty, and like that's a unique trait about him. Yeah. And that's the same thing with Kylan Hill. I mean, Kylan Hill. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of looks, but he I mean, he, he's one of the top running backs. Definitely. And like like I mentioned before, when they had like Washington State has had receivers that have produced and like mm-hmm. 
Gabe Marks or Gage Marks, I don't remember his name, like that was a really good receiver. I'm, I'm trying to think of where he went. Luke Falk went to the Titans. Um, Marks either went undrafted or went really, really late. I don't, I don't even know where he is now. <laughs> they but, always had good receivers. I mean, they might have not necessarily panned out or got drafted very high, but I mean, when you put a quarterback back there like Gardner Minshew or something, it, co- it completely changes the game. If you have a gunslinger who's just gonna just throw it, you know, and just chuck it down the field and put place it right on the wide receivers in wide receivers' hands over the shoulder. It doesn't become very hard at that point. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting. It's like he had Anthony Gordon, and I don't know how I forgot about Gardner Minshew. He had Gardner Minshew, and, I mean, it's almost similar to the Bo Nix where we have yet to see his arm talent just because of the way the Stanford offense was used and because it was run heavy. There's not a whole lot of targets that Stanford had that really that really stood out. So, like, I, I think there's a chance that we see someone on that Mississippi State offense that we never realized, like, we never saw his full potential until this year. Yep, and we'll see if K.J. Costello proves me wrong, but it just reminds me a whole lot of how Florida State expected Alex Horningbrook to come in and be able to throw deep balls to Tamari on Terry all day, and that's just not the case. Alex Horningbrook does not have the arm to be able to push it down 60 yards, you know? And in my opinion, in an air raid offense, KJ Costello is not your guy. <laughs> I cannot wait until we get to the ACC, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be great. Alex Hornybrook, man, number one pick in the draft. Those four tutties comes in for Blackman. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, ridiculous, man, it's gonna talk, be great. ridiculous talk when that all happens. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we'll get in that another time. <laughs> So the last thing I want to end on is going into the Mississippi State defense. And Mississippi State always seems to have guys that nobody knows about. Yep. That always, like, it's, again, it's another defense that's consistent, and they've always they've been good for quite some time, the past few years now, but nobody really knows about. Yeah, I mean, that's that's – one of the things, um, both of those transfers I was talking about earlier, both came off the defense, both transferred to Florida State, coincidentally. Um, <laughs> but Darian Jones, their corner, and their big DT down low, Fabian Lovett, who's an absolute animal down there for them last year, down there in the trenches. Um, those are two big losses for them. I mean, Darian Jones is going to be a junior, redshirt junior, and Fabian Lovett, I'm not sure exactly what year he is, but like I said, he had a fantastic season last year down there in uh, the nose tackle for Mississippi State. So those are two huge losses. So it'll be two guys that are gonna, or two people are going to have to step up um, into those positions and fill those big roles. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me about Mississippi State's defense is their cornerbacks coach, Terrell Buckley. Um, I think he's one of the best cornerback coaches in the nation. Yeah, and I mean, the one big name that – is really going to step it up even more. I mean, that's Elijah Blades. And, I mean, th- yep. this guy has – it's another guy that can be used in so many situations. He definitely does. And, like you said, not a lot of big names or anything, but um, defense is always solid. And if you can provide consistency on the defensive end, um, that really goes a long way when it comes to winning – or trying to squeak out wins in the SEC. Yep, Definitely. So that wraps up tonight's show. Um, Next week, we'll be talking about the Big Ten. 
the former conference of Alex Hornibrook and the Wisconsin Badgers, the former school of Alex Hornibrook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Caleb, man, first episode, I had so much fun with this. So we're going to be doing the Power Five conferences. So next week we've got the Big Ten. It's going to be great. Uh, give us, give Unwrapped Sports Network a follow. Give Unwrapped University a follow. Give Caleb and I a follow and give Saturday Standouts, Sat Standouts USN. Give Saturday Standouts a follow on Twitter. Big moves, man. We're up and coming, and I can't wait. Yeah, man. Journey. It was super exciting. I had a blast, man. The first episode ever it was really awesome. Um, went a lot smoother than I anticipated myself doing. <laughs> you did perfect, but I was a little nervous coming on here. It's only my second podcast that I'm doing. But um, other than that, I want to give a huge shout-out to um, the Unwrapped Sports Network for – allowing us to be able to hop in and on be one of their main podcasts and be a partner with them, um, be contributors for them. And also, um, we have a sweet sale going on for some sweet CBD pain cream. Um, it's called RX Hemp. Um, it's just some pain relief cream. So if you got a bad back, bad elbow, got some tendonitis anywhere, um, or just sore just daily from playing sports or anything, um, head over to rxhemp.com and use the code rxhemp-usn for 10% off of your first purchase. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much, uh, just what I wanted to end it with. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I want to thank Sam for bringing me along on this incredible journey that this is going to be. And I'm looking forward to, uh, future episodes, man. Yeah, man. I'm pumped. You said it right there. Shout out to Unwrapped Sports. Uh, check out our CBD sponsorship, Unwrapped Sports Network. Very talented group of, group of individuals. And I can't thank everyone in Unwrapped, Perry. And everyone, Monique, that's helped us along the way in getting this started. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, thanks for joining us, everyone. And we'll see you next week for the Big Ten.